Church, just take a minute and worship your King. Jesus. Take your time. Holy Spirit, you are worthy. King Jesus, you are worthy. You are sovereign. You are mighty. You are strong. You are a strong tower. You are everything to us. Thank you, Jesus, for being in here. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us. We thank you for your presence, for your holiness. We thank you for the body and blood that was broken and sacrificed for us so that we can become holy because we couldn't be worthy in and of ourselves. There was nothing we can earn, nothing we can do. So thank you, King Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, seeing as how my worship leader just quoted Star Trek, I'm looking for a new worship leader. <laughs> it's in the bylaws. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, but, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, we... We were singing just now, what a, what a beautiful name, what a wonderful name, all these different things. And, and before we started the service, we have our, our prayer time. And one of the things that we were really, really talking about is, is all the revival that is going on within Ashbury. And there's a few other different places that, that that's happening. Um, and, and the revivals that were before, and what it really was... Because again, and I believe Don said this, what started that Ashbury revival was someone getting up in front of the congregation at the time and, and confessing. They confessed whatever sin that they had. And that just sparked it. And so more and more people, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and more and more people are confessing and, and getting face down and saying, forgive us, God, for whatever it is that we've been doing not just, you know, major sins that we, we kind of sometimes talk about, but just forgive us for forgetting who you are. Forgive us for not remembering who you are and what you have done for us and making it into something that it should never have been. You know, typically when we've talked about previous revivals and things that happened, one of the biggest ones that a lot of people are talking about is the Jesus Revolution, you know, because the movies come out. And we're talking about, you know, men like Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith. Um, that whole big revival was really Chuck Smith. You know, I really appreciate how it started the movie where he was so against the hippies and he just doesn't understand. And, and he'd get up and say, you know, the world's gone to chaos and, and everything is evil and we've all got to stick together and we've all got to do this. And then God sends him this barefoot hippie, Lonnie Frisbee, and, Ch and basically Chuck Smith's like, what do you mean you're a Christian? <laughs> like, how can that be? And so it's, it's really, I really, really appreciate going back to what it really is. And we talked about this at how we can't cut anybody off of this. You know, it's not like, well... God can work in, in people, but not really them because they're too far gone 
or they just really don't understand and things like that. What this is becoming and what Ashbury is, is getting down on our face and it's saying, it's not about what I look like, it's not about what I do, it's not what I'm trying to do, it's all about you. If we all just get up and come together and say, you have no rival, you have no equal, there is no one greater or bigger or worthy of any praise other than you, Jesus, then that's where it starts. And so, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why I felt we needed to go into Acts and what we've been talking about is, you know, the church would start in one path and they were listening to the Holy Spirit and then they would kind of start going this way a little bit and God's like, wait a minute, this way. And then we kind of start going this way and God would bring them right back to it and it's a continuous thing and we have to remember that it's still a continuous thing and, and that's why we really talked about last week about how dangerous it was for these Judaizers to come in and say, okay, that's nice. We've had this huge outbreak of Gentiles wanting to come to Jesus, but now you've got to get religious. Now you've got to follow the law. And it was really all about come as you are and see what you become. It was about finding faith in Christ alone for your forgiveness and having the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do in your life. And we talked about how it, it's the fact that, you know, the church needs to be a haven for the lost and the broken because all of us have been lost and broken and have, have looked for meaning and fulfillment in other things and it just didn't work. And then we should be able to have you know, I know it's a trigger word now, and I'm, I'm so tired of hearing this safe space. I come from California. I constantly heard that. Trust me. But this needs to be a place where you can go, like I talked about last week. I went to the church, and I didn't have it all figured out, and I handed them my garbage fire and said, help. I don't know what to do with this. And they just poured Jesus onto me and said, here, take this. They didn't look and go, whoa, wait a minute, you're too far gone. There's nothing we could do for you. Good luck out there, fella. You have nothing to do with us in here. Because what Jesus wants is, is a, a group of people who are imperfect, but realize they've been made perfect in Christ. He wants a group of people that because in and of ourselves we are imperfect, we have to completely rely on him alone to do whatever it is that he's called us to do. And then part of the issue is we need to continue to lift each other up, to build each other up, to keep working together, to be patient with each other. I mean, there's so many times within Scripture, and even Paul, you know, Paul, in my opinion, had, had a bit of a temper, so sometimes when he kept saying, bear with one another, be patient, he was talking probably to himself. Bear with one another, take care of each other. It's not going to be easy, but continue to lift each other up. And so now what we're going to see is now Paul has decided to go off and go to the places that he's been to, and he's going to be meeting some people, and there's going to be some things that we're going to be talking about. We're going to get into Acts chapter 16. But before we do that, let's pray. Holy Father, again, we thank you for the work that you do within us. We confess and, and recognize that it's not us, not our power, 
not our strength, not our intelligence, not anything other than what you personally have given us. So we ask you, Father, as we dive into your word to open up our ears and our hearts, that your will be done in it, and whatever it needs to be changed in my life or anybody else's life, let your will be done in it and help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 16, 1 through 2. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So we're going to stop there just real quick. Because what you see is, again, Paul is really taking the time and going back to the people he's already preached to and checking in on them, which we've kind of talked about. That That's the difference between wanting a convert and wanting a disciple. A convert you just kind of preach to, okay, you're part of the number, we check the box, good luck, have fun, let me know how this Christianity stuff works with you. With discipleship, it's preach over here, okay, wait, let me come back and make sure you're okay. How are you doing? Is there instructions that I need to give you? Is there teaching I need to give you? Okay, great, now you're lifted up, now I need to go back and start doing the other work. And that's what Paul is doing here. And he comes back to Derby and Lystra. Keep in mind, this is the same place in Acts chapter 14. Do you guys remember what happened there? Paul does this great miracle, and the whole place just goes nuts and says, these are gods. We must sacrifice to them. We must honor them. And Paul and Barnabas are doing everything they can and saying, wait, we're human too. We're only preaching Christ. The only way we were able to heal anybody is because of Jesus. Stop, stop. And there's this huge riot that goes on. And, and one of the problems is, is there's this huge explosion. And what we see is the Jews who are against the message that they're giving them, one minute the Gentiles are trying to worship them and sacrifice to them. And then the Jews come in and cause this problem and now those same Gentiles are trying to kill them. And so Paul and Barnabas have to escape and flee. And so we see Paul coming back, and, and you know, to, to his own detriment, he's going back to the place that he was run off from, and you would think that their ministry, their mission there was a complete failure. Like, it just caused chaos, there was too much. You know, it says some believed, but, you know... We don't really know how this goes. However, he comes back to this area now. And by the way, this is five years after this event. Keep that in mind. Because again, we, we look through some of the scriptures and we go from you know, chapter 1, 2, and 3, and we think that it just happened right after the other. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it's five years later. Sometimes it's 15 years later. Sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, it's 150 years later. But this is five years after the events of chapter 14. And Paul actually finds believers. He finds a church there. And he finds one notable believer who actually has a really good reputation among the church, and that's Timothy. And this is, yes, this is the same exact Timothy that you read in the New Testament, those letters that Paul writes, 1st, 2nd Timothy. 
And this is the same one who Paul actually later takes on as a spiritual son. Look at 1 Timothy 1, 1, 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from our God, God our Father, and Jesus Christ our Lord. We know, of course, one of the big things is Timothy is a young man, though we don't know how young, but he's pretty young. 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in the world in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You know, it's funny, we often talk about the older generation being an example to the younger. But younger guys, we need to be an example to the older generation sometimes too. So we know Timothy was a young man. We also know, like it says in, chapter, in, in this chapter in Acts, that he was brought up in the faith not only by his mother, but also his grandmother, 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So, as you can see, Paul takes a bit of a liking to Timothy. He begins to take him under his wing. He begins to bring him in, and he's so impressed with Timothy that he says, I want you to come with me on this missions trip. Because remember, Paul and Barnabas have gone their separate ways. Barnabas has taken John Mark, and they're going off and doing what they're doing. So Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, come with me. We're going to go do this missions trip. But before he, he takes Timothy, there's something that he does that would be really weird, seeing as how we've been talking about it for a few weeks. And this is in Acts 16, 3. Paul wanted to have him go with him. And he took him and circumcised him. Because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, we have gone through three Sundays talking about you don't need to be circumcised. And this dude just finds Timothy and says, all right, come on, boy. Come on, we're going to do this. Why? Why? Why on earth? Why? We just went through this whole thing, and now Paul just randomly does this. But here's the thing. I know this sounds really hypocritical, and this is one of the things that a lot of people will point out, say, oh, look, there's contradictions within the Bible. We go through all this stuff that says you don't have to be circumcised, and then Paul turns around and finds this young man and says, okay, we've, we've got to do this thing before we head off and, and go preach the word. But the thing is, is here's what it says. Because of the Jews... See, again, for the last few Sundays, we've talked about those who wanted people to become circumcised and follow the law did so because their argument was, is without that, you're not saved. Paul is not going to Timothy and say, you're not really saved because you're not circumcised, so this is what I'm going to do. 
he continuously refutes that heresy. He's not coming to him and saying, your faith in Christ is not enough. You have to do these things. As a matter of fact, we'll see later that Paul has another spiritual son, Titus. Now, what is the difference? Titus, he does not circumcise. He never mentions him being circumcised. He never commands him to be circumcised. So what's the big difference? Titus is a Gentile, full-blooded Gentile. He's never been, his people have never been given the law, nor has he been commanded to be circumcised. So Paul never brings it up with Titus. Because of that, there's no expectation of it. He's saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The only rules of any that Titus has is the ones that they're delivering in that letter. Remember, don't eat anything strangled, don't eat blood, you know, re- refrain from sexual immorality, all those different things that happen. Now, with Timothy, he's also saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But Timothy is half Jewish. It says his father was Greek, his mother was a Jew. So, am I up here saying, hey, we Gentiles, we've, we've got off the hook. We don't have to worry about it. But if you have any percentage of Jewish blood in you, you have to do these things. That's, that's not what it's saying. Because what's happening here is they're honoring the custom that Timothy is coming from so that their testimony will not have a stumbling block. Because according to Jewish custom and Jewish law, because Timothy's mother is a Jew, that makes Timothy, whether you're full, half, a quarter, whatever it is, you're Jewish. That's what you are. But because he was uncircumcised, the Jews considered him an apostate Jew, someone to be kept away from, someone not to have anything to do with. So because of this, because this causes a problem, and because it may affect his potential witness, Paul circumcises Timothy. Now, how this may come up in conversation, I've, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't want to know. It's not a custom we're going to start. <laughs> but it is he's an apostate Jew he he can't you know he can't preach to, to the Jews so in order to honor the customs of his Jewish brethren and remove any stumbling box between them and Christ Paul does have Timothy circumcised here's how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 9 19 through 23 for though I am free from all men I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that by that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker of it with you. That's the whole point. See, again, and I, I believe we've said this before, 
we as, as Americans, it's, it's really indwelt within our culture. We have, we've got the Bill of Rights. We have rights. We have a right to do something. We have a right not to have something happen to us. We have these particular rights. We're free. You can't take away my rights. I don't have to do something if, you, if I don't want to do it. You can't make me. But the thing is, is as Christians, there are some times where we have to actually relinquish our rights. We have to give them up. And I find this ironic that this is such a problem within this country because, again, we constantly go off that we're a Christian nation, and yet this is a very Christian thing to do to give up certain things. Think of it this way. We just sang that Jesus has no rival, he has no equal. Jesus had every single right as the sovereign king to come down here on earth in all his splendor and glory. He could have made it a show. He could have come down in the clouds and come down in fury. He had every single right to condemn us, to destroy us. He was under every single right to lay judgment upon us and to have legion after legion completely wipe out humanity because of our transgressions against him. Yet this is what he does instead, and this is what Paul says in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Can you imagine, if, if you think you're humbling yourself in some form or fashion, he went from glory and thousands of angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and he came down here on earth as a human being, as a, as a baby. That's how much he has humbled himself. And church, that's the one we're called to imitate. He's the one we're supposed to be following. So like Timothy, there's many times where we can say, you know, I'm free from these things. I don't have to do these things. It, it doesn't affect my salvation. It has nothing to do with me. I have a right to do, to do something or not to do something. I am not bound by this law. But again, I'm bound by the law of love. And that law says that your salvation is much more important than my rights. That's the whole part of dying to yourself, picking up your cross, and following him. And if you ever feel like complaining, or think sometimes this is just too much, again, think poor Timothy. <laughs> this poor guy <laughs> meets this guy, says he wants to come with him, but then at first we have to go do this. I, re I really hope, I mean, talk about suffering for Jesus. I really hope there was plenty of time of recovery for Timothy. Like, can you imagine, okay, we're going to do this thing. Now get up. We're going to go walk for 100 miles through the desert. 
go to this other city. Timothy is like, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> you know, and again, just thinking about it with me and myself, thinking about Timothy, you know what? Shoveling snow ain't so bad. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's another thing that I wanted to point out beyond all that. You know, Paul, again, could have, could have just simply recognized uh, Timothy as this impressive young man in the faith. He could have had him come up to the front, could have prayed over him, said, okay, son, you're doing a great job, good luck. And then Paul was like, well, I've got other business elsewhere. I've got to go over here now. But of course, you know, that's not what he did. There was something within Timothy that Paul said, I'm going to invest in your life now. I'm going to take you on, not just as someone who's going to just follow me and I'm just going to teach. I mean, it takes on to the point of intimacy of being a spiritual son to this man. And again, I keep talking about this, but I really, really believe that we're severely lacking that within the church as a whole. That, that there needs to be a recognition and a willingness of mentoring and discipleship. There's times of rejoicing with it. There's times of victory in it. But there's also times of mourning and loss and frustration. It takes time. You have to be willing to be in the long haul with somebody. And that's what Paul did with Timothy, to the point to where he, he helps him, he builds him up, and then that's what the letters are about. Okay, now you're a leader. Here's instructions. Here you go. I've now lifted you up. I've taken all this time, and now it's your turn to take on the mantle. And again, this is why the church needs the older and the younger. I am really, really concerned any time one church shows favoritism from one or the other. You know, with the whole, we need to be traditional, you know, we've got to keep the older people, we've got to do this, and we're going to cater to them, or we're going to do this. You miss so much out in the same way as... You know, we've got to be young, and we've got to be cool, and we've got to reach out to these young people. You have to do both. Because the church misses out on key components of blessings if you don't have both within the church. And again, I know this may come as a shock, but you know you're actually supposed to intermingle with each other. We don't have a boomer section here. We don't have a millennial section here and then a Zoomer section over here. You're supposed to get along with each other. I know it's hard. You know, boomers are kind of, never mind. Anyways. <laughs> but again, neither one is irrelevant or useless. As a matter of fact, you're supposed to actually teach and learn from each other. Take Titus 2, for example, when Paul is talking about teaching older and younger men. Look at Titus uh, in verses 1 and 2. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. In other words, stop being so old and grumpy. <laughs> Look at what it says in verses 6 through 8 for the young man. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, 
incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. In other words, young man, don't be such an idiot. <laughs> Shut up, boomer. <laughs> Oh, darn. <laughs> Let me reread that one thing now. <laughs> but notice again, the younger men have a whole lot more instructions to be given. It's because we're kind of stupid. <laughs> kind of need a little bit more instruction. We're not as seasoned as the older men. So, in other words, again... Older men, we need younger men to help us, again, not to be complete idiots. Older men, we need to teach you not to be so old, crotchety, and grumpy. And we're all supposed to lift each other up and build each other up in Christ. It's a two-way street. You know, instead of, like, coming at each other and, and you know, being so against each other, each other generationally, just because I don't remember rotary phones as much as you guys do. Why don't we be that church that breaks down those stereotypes? Older people invest in the younger people. Younger people invest in the older people. You can learn a lot from each one of each other. You guys are not aliens from separate planets. I know sometimes it feels that way. But invest in each other's lives. And then let's continue on to what it says in Acts chapter 16, 4 through 5. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. We keep hearing that at the end of a lot of different passages. The church increased and, and people were strengthened daily. And I appreciate what a commentary says that I read. Their work was successful because their first interest was in strengthening churches. Strong churches will naturally increase in number daily without relying on man-centered and manipulative methods. See, again, that is the big difference between those who follow Jesus when he did all the miracles and those who follow Jesus because of who he was. Those who follow Jesus for the miracles, in other, in other words, the big shows, the, the, skept, the spectacles, the excitement, far too easily will fall away when the show is over. When things really start picking up, when things really, when the work really needs to be done, when all that excitement is gone, they, they don't have anything left for it. They're just searching for the next big miracle, the next big wonder, and then they fall away. Those who follow Jesus for who he is, is in it for the long haul. They recognize who he is. They are the ones that God really uses to change the world. Because he, he says, because those who know who Jesus really is pretty much says, you can heal me, you cannot heal me, but that doesn't change who you are. And you are the Savior, you are the King, you are my God, and I will follow you. 
We need to be really, really, really careful on what we're doing within the church. We have to think, is it something that's going to strengthen the body? Or is it something, again, that's harming it? And we talked about this this morning and during the prayer time. We need to be really, really careful with trying to, again, artificially manufacturing these experiences. You know how many people have walked away from the faith? These are people who either grew up in the church or whatever, and they were in these huge worship teams. They were in these big churches and all the excitement and all the things and all the stuff. And then when things went down, when there was problems in their life, and all that excitement was gone, they said, where is God? Because we've artificially manufactured. We've, we've created that as that's what God is, that's who God is, that's what he does. And if you're not experiencing that, then you don't have God. Because what we're doing sometimes, can we need to be careful not to be emotionally manipulative. You know, again, the dim lights, the impressive media playing on the screen, the soft music in the background, as the pastor asks everyone to bow their heads in prayer. I mean, sometimes that works and the Holy Spirit really comes in. But sometimes we just create that. We create an environment. And this has been going on for a really long time. You know the reason why the cathedrals are so impressive as they are? is because the architectures wanted to give you the grandiose nature of God. You were supposed to walk in in awe and wonder to give you that sense, that, that feeling of sovereignty and amazingness and holiness. And today we're doing the exact same thing, along with the overhyping of a moment with these loud music, flashing lights, and again, these smoke machines, and the pastor up on the mic yelling into the microphone, some generic motivational speech, just some nonsense, just to say something, to say God is moving in this house and yada, yada, yada. Because again, when the hardship happens and that stuff isn't around, what then? Where's that experience? Where's the God that we created who said would be there for them? Again, motivation matters, and the ends never justify the means. Scriptures are littered with people who make the mistake and face the consequences because they did things outside of God's will and God's ways to create something. Again, the biggest example of that is the Middle East. Abraham said, God, you're taking too long. And so Abraham and Sarah had a conversation and said, hey, go have a kid with Hagar. And that's why we have so many problems in the Middle East. That's why there's so many conflicts, because there's two groups of people and have such a big mess now. Especially in times like now, and I really, really believe that that's why the revival in Ashbury is happening, is authenticity matters. You can't have anything behind your back anymore. It doesn't work. People are broken. People are sometimes even coming from that experience and saying, look, I've been there, done that. I don't want anything to do with that. You know, I really appreciate it. And again, I watched the Jesus Revolution movie, and there was a part where the, the guy playing Greg Laurie, he's, he's talking to the girl, 
and he leaves the church. And she's like, no, come back. And he's like, but what if it's just another drug? That's what people are saying. What if it's another gimmick? What if it's another play? What if it's not sincere? And again, church, we have a pretty big hill to climb sometimes because we've built up and created things and leaders and they've collapsed and fallen apart. There's a whole series on Mars Hill and everything that happened there. And people are looking at that and saying, that looked good at the time, but look at what they were doing behind the doors. Put your money where your mouth is. Again, Kathy this morning put it right. You are sometimes the only Bible that people read. You have to match your actions and your words together. You can't just say Jesus loves you and go on about your business. There has to be something authentic and real there. And again, just like the commentary says, a strong church naturally grows. You can have something broken and wonder why it's not working. We have to stop just limping along and hoping for the best and then wonder why there's no fruit. Build up the church first. That's what revival really is about. Is God bringing, humbling the church and saying, wait, come back to me. And then the church again beginning to grow as they keep their eyes on Jesus. So again, let's continue to work together to build and continue to strengthen the church so that God can do his will and his work within us and have fruitful growth in people. Again, not just numbers. Quality over quantity. Always remember the law of love. Just because you have a right to do something or not to do something, if it hurts someone or creates a stumbling block, then stop doing it or go ahead and do it. Whatever that is. Because again, if it makes someone reject Christ, it's not worth it. And again, motivation matters. Stop trying to do God's work without Him. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is well beyond sufficient to do what He's called us to do. Just lean on Him to do it. And then lastly, let's remember to invest in each other's lives, young and old. We need to be more and more, we need to do this more and more as the day of Christ approaches because again, it's coming closer and closer. I've never been like a doomsday preacher. I've never said, you know, oh, everything, you know, we're seeing revelation right before our eyes. We may be. But what I do know, again, I keep saying that, he's closer today than he was yesterday. He's closer than he was five minutes ago. We only have a certain amount of time. So this is what we need to do. And I'm going to read this last verse as the worship team go ahead and come up. Romans 13, 8. Oh, no one except, oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Again, Jesus once again speaks 
that the law and the prophets are summed up in this, love God and love people. And that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come to you. I come to you in humility. And I ask you for forgiveness of anything that I've created that's not of you. Cleanse me of any unrighteousness that I have built up and and made into something that it shouldn't have been. Help us, Father, to keep our eyes again on you. Help us to remember that the power is not within us because of who we are or what we've done or what we're about. It's because the Holy Spirit works in us. That, Father, we are nothing more than sinners who have been taken out of sin and death and hell, whom you have cleaned up, whom your blood has wiped us clean. And now you dwell within us which is the greatest miracle of all, and I thank you, Father, for that. Bless us as we continue on. Help us, Father, to not just go through our daily lives and just kind of go about the motions, but help us to be conscious of you. As much as we are now, help us to be that way again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and however many days you have deemed to give each and every one of us. And we thank you, Father, for your presence. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.